Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am one of those Reformed Christians dissenting and I'm joined by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello. And, uh, you know, he's numero two. Just mixing languages because that's always fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's numero dos and... Uh, Oh, it's, that's horrible. Uh, joining <laughs> us today from Pennsylvania, I'm in the state of South Dakota. Thank you all so, so much for joining us from, you know, wherever you're joining us from. Don't forget, go to trdshow.net. That's our show's website. And uh, we got a lot of cool stuff on there. Follow us on Rumble and Gab and uh, Gab TV, Getter. Follow us on all the other platforms that don't censor you and actually care about free speech because YouTube, you know, hates free speech and has deleted one of our videos in the past. So, be warned, you may not get all of our content on YouTube. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We want to hear from you. And um, if you would like to, you know, stay up to date on all of our latest episodes, you should probably follow our newsletter. Um, go to trdshow.net slash newsletter and join up for that yeah, join up sign up there that's the word i gotta get the language right sometimes the vernacular is, is hard uh sign up for our newsletter that we are now doing three times a week we've got all sorts of awesome stuff in this newsletter you really really don't want to miss it if you're not signed up for it yet takes like 30 seconds go to trdshow.net slash newsletter sign up for it just put your email in the box hit submit easy as that i mean you might have to go to your inbox and then hit i accept or something like that but Super easy. It'll walk you through all of that. And if you have questions, send us an email at trdshowprotonmail.com. <clears throat> we are starting a brand new book, and you can see it on my shelf right here. And uh, there's Jake. You can see it on his shelf, too. And um, this new book this month is... What is it actually called? It's by Greg Bonson. There it is. Presuppositionalism stated and defended. Presuppositional apologetics stated and defended. There it is. There <laughs> we'll mix the two. How about that? Presuppositional yeah, yeah. apologetics stated and defended by Greg Bonson. And with a new book comes a new theme. Our new theme for this month is effectively giving an answer for the hope within us. Effectively giving an answer for the hope within us. We've done this uh, theme Historically, we've, we did this in the past when we went through uh, Always Ready by Dr. Greg Bonson, but now we're going through another book of his, and uh, this is specifically orbiting around the idea of presuppositional apologetics, so we're going to restate some of the things we talked about in Always Ready, but they're worth restating, believe me. There's a lot of content in that book, and um, I know personally from firsthand experience that a lot of people don't get it all the first time through, so sometimes... I've had to read, you know, a lot of that stuff two or three times to get it. And I know lots of people who have listened to his lectures multiple times to understand everything that he's talking about. So restating, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's, I think it's going to be helpful. So <laughs> um, before we get into all of that, some awesome stuff to talk about today. Before we get into apologetics and a, a, an epistemological view of biblical knowledge, we have to talk about our verse of the week. And I'm going to pass it on over to Jake to do that today. Alrighty, and our verse this week can be found in Romans 1, verses 4 through 5, which says, Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. 
Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And again, that is Romans 1, verses 4 through 5. Awesome. And breaking this down a little bit, we, um, as Bruce was stating out in the very, in our episode, uh, our Monday episode, uh, saying that we, a lot of people like to focus on the beginning of this, but we want to focus on a little bit, we want to focus on the, the, almost the very last sentence of this. And, um, but let, last part of it, because it's only one sentence. Yeah. I don't know what I'm saying. But, all right, <laughs> very last part of it, which, um, where it says, for the sake of his name among all the nations. So we can bring about apostleship for his, for the sake of his name among all the nations. And, first of all, this is the second verse, right, that we've brought up. And actually, no, it's not the second verse, but... Another verse which clearly and plainly states that we need to bring in, bring in um, apostleship to the nations, right? Us as Christians need to get involved in the nations and apostolize. I don't know if that's a <laughs> word, but the people in those nations and that nation itself. Yeah. But but even looking even deeper deeper into this, we see for His name's sake. Right, we're not doing this for our own reasons. We're not mm. doing this so we can have our own freedoms and liberties, but it's for Christ. Yes. Right. It is for Christ that we are set free. Yep. Right. Yep. With His law enacted, we can then be free. Yes. Right. Free we to be first... a slave to Him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Free to be a slave to Him. Yes. So yeah, that is my breakdown. Awesome, dude. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's that's really good. And yeah, one of the biggest things too is you know bring about the obedience of faith um, for the mm. sake of His name. That that obedience of faith is key. You know, we're calling the nations to obey Him as their King, um, yeah. which we see in Matthew twenty-eight, we see in Psalms chapter two, we see all over Scripture that Christ is King, and He's told the nations how to follow Him. And he's called them to obey. So, yeah, awesome point. Thanks for bringing that up, Jake. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. This week we read up to page 15 in chapter one. I think chapter one goes up to page 25. But there was so much um, just up to page 15. So, we, we were like halfway through the week. We're like, uh, can we vote on maybe just reading up this far? Because uh, there's already... A lot here so <laughs> we both agreed that that was probably the best course of action was to read up to there so um you know bonson starts with a reminder <clears throat> that first peter chapter 3 verse 15 is our goal for which to strive so we're striving for what's ex what's described in first peter chapter 3 verse 15 in our conversations with unbelievers <clears throat> excuse me something in my throat today um so what is first peter chapter 3 Verse 15, I have to say, it says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a hope, uh, for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So that's First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15. So, you know, moving right into this, our ultimate standard must be the word of God. That's, that is our ultimate standard. And as Bonson goes on to explain, and we're going to get to that, 
if you go away from that standard and you give it up and you start using their standard or you accept their standard or any other standard besides the word of God, you lose all the power that you have as a Christian after Christ's resurrection, death on the cross and resurrection. The amount of wisdom and glory and power and majesty that Christ has and God has, and he's given us a sliver in his holy word, you lose all of that when you give up the word of God as your ultimate standard in argumentation. So let's get into this. On page chapter four, Bonson said, the word of God in the Bible has a unique epistemological status for the Christian. It requires no corroboration and carries its own evidence inherently or self-attestingly, end quote. So he's talking about having the word of God as our ultimate standard in and of itself. It doesn't rely on anything else. It's self-sufficient. It's self-testing. Um, and we need to remember that. It doesn't need our human logic, right? Uh, on page four, a little further down on the page, Greg Bonson says, let us hold fast to the profession of our hope without wavering. He's quoting Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering for the one who promised is faithful. Uh, and then he says, since God is faithful to us, our apologetic must not be faithless to him, end quote. So God is faithful to us. When we go out and, um, you know, give a defense for his word, we can't do that without using his word as the defense. We can't be unfaithful to him. <clears throat> On page three, Greg Bonson said, a truly Christian defense of the faith must never fail to exalt Christ as Lord over all, including argumentation and reasoning. An apologetic that builds on any other rock than Christ does not honor the greatness of divine wisdom. It is foolishly and audaciously <laughs> erected on the ruinous sands of human authority. End quote. So there's a lot here. Um, so let's move to, uh, let's see, I'm going to move down to a quote from page 13 where uh, Greg Bonson says, we must not defend our message that Christ's word is self-attesting and possessing the ultimate authority of the Lord with a method that works counter to it by claiming an ultimate epistemological standard outside of Christ's word of truth, end quote. So, wow, just like <laughs> all of this, you know, hitting you over the head with the, this, the fact that God's word has to be our ultimate standard. When we argue, we can't stoop to the level of the unbeliever. Um, we can't do that. That, that will fail, ultimately. Um, one last quote, and then I'll pass it over to Jake to kind of add to the conversation. Um, but from page 15, uh, Greg Bonson, I almost said Gary DeMar. Greg Bonson says, Apologetics requires that we argue with the unbeliever in terms of each other's most basic assumptions. <clears throat> Excuse me. We must challenge each other's final standards. That's important. We must challenge each other's final standards. This means that we must contest the grounds on which our opponent stands, showing that only within the context of the Christian worldview could he know anything at all. And we're going to get into the specifics of that a little bit later. Uh, Jake, anything you'd like to like comment on or just add to this discussion about using the word of God as our ultimate standard and not, not giving that up. I think that's one of the most important takeaways here. There's, there's a lot of words. There's a lot of things that could be said, but one of the most important takeaways is that a, the word of God is our ultimate standard and B, we're not giving up that standard. We're not relinquishing it. We're not saying, mm -hmm. all right, I'm going to put the word of God on the shelf and we're just going to discuss science now. Right. Because that's their right. ultimate standard. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and your your <clears throat> ultimate standard matters because yes. it does affect all the other things that you believe. Um, yep. But we even look at that passage, right? And and before it talks about and in um the passage that I'm talking about. Sorry if that wasn't clear, but the passage <laughs> that I'm talking about is um giving a giving a defense for the hope that lies within. Oh yeah, First Peter three fifteen. Yeah, we look at that passage, and before it, it's talking about honoring God, right? Mm. In and we honor God in our argumentation as well. Yes. Does going back to science as a way of our argumentation honoring God? Mm, yeah. Or does going back to his word and going back to all that he set out in his word honoring him? Yes. Yes. Oh, great. Great point. Great distinction. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that plays directly into like that Hebrew, uh, Hebrews 10, 23, where Bonson was talking about God is faithful to us. We need to hold fast to him. I mean, Hebrews mm -hmm. uh, 10, 23 says, let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering for the one who promised is faithful. Let us hold yeah. fast to that hope because God is faithful. We hold fast to that because he's, he is faithful to us. Mm -hmm. right? yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Really good point. Um, my next, you know, next, next thing I wanted to bring up was that there's, there's no neutrality. I mean, all the time in apologetic conversations, uh, unbelievers will bring up, let's just be neutral. Hey, let's leave God out of it. Let's leave the Bible out of it. Let's be neutral. And uh, come on over here. Come on over here to my standard. Let's talk science now, which is their ultimate standard, right? So that, that's not neutral. You've just given up on your standard and you're going on their side. You're going to try and argue. It's like, uh, you know, in the, the World War II era, if we got out of the trenches went over to their side and started just standing there like, all right, let's fight over here, guys. It's like, no, you dug the trenches. You've got your side, all of your weapons, all of your armories, everything's on your side. Stay there and fight from your side. That's why it's there. Like, <laughs> right. You've just, you've completely skipped over middleman, you, the no man's land. You completely skipped over that and you went right to their side and you're just like, all right, now I'm camped out here. It's like, uh, <laughs> everything's back there. All your weapon, any chance you had of fighting and winning this, you just left behind. You left your guns, you left your armor, you left everything over there. Why did you do that? Because I mean, that's that's what they want. Yes, they want that's you what to they give want. up. Yeah, exactly. They want you to give up your side. Yep. So that you can attack them where yep. they're the most strongest. Yes. On exactly. their side. Exactly. It's like it's like trying to say, um. Because when you look at this, right, you have the Bible, they have science. Mm. They want to claim science as authority. Well, they have a, a skewed, the Bible. They have a skewed version of science. Yeah. Right, right. But we're claiming the Bible as authority. Yep. They're claiming science as, a, as an authority. Yeah. We're now trying to go over and say, oh, Oh, the Bible. Okay. Um, science is the authority. Yeah, right. So let's argue <laughs> from science. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think the important distinction here, too, is that we're talking about our ultimate authority. Mm -hmm. We're talking about when we make a premise, we make an argument, usually like one or two supporting premises to support our argumentation. Eventually, well, now we got to 
look at those two premises and back those up with more premises and back mm -hmm. them up and back them up further and further, right? This is true because of these two things. Well, how do you know those two things are true? Well, I know those two things are true because of these two things. Okay, well, what about those two things? You know, like we're constantly going back and back and back and further improving our statement. Right. If as a Christian, that process, which is how logical arguments work, that's supposed to happen, that's a good thing. If that process doesn't eventually bring you back down to the word of God, then you have a problem. If the word of God was up here in the argument chain and you've got some other things to support the word of God, then that's not your ultimate standard. Whatever that thing is at the bottom that ultimately yeah. you can't prove it with other two other things and say that, well, this is true because of these two things, then that means it's true. It's self-attesting. It's self-evident. That's your ultimate standard. Yeah. Uh, what was it? The There's a quote, and I think it's, I think it's from Cal Calvin. But it says, in answer to the question of, well, how do you know the Bible is true? The, the quote, and this is a paraphrase, this is an actual direct quote, this is me paraphrasing <laughs> it. But it was, if the Bible wasn't, if, if the Bible wasn't my standard, then I wouldn't know if anything else is true mm, or not. Yes, dude. Yep. And that's what we want to get to next. So mm -hmm. awesome. Awesome job. Yeah. Great segue. <laughs> yeah. You can't account for anything that you believe in right now. Science, uh, logic, there, uh, I mean, preconditions of intelligibility. There are so many things that you cannot account for if the Bible is not true. So, first of all, there's no neutrality. Page three, Greg Bonson says, the Christian cannot, indeed must not, take an unattached or neutral stance with respect to his faith in order to win the unbeliever over to Christ's authority, end quote, because that won't happen. Um, so we've kind of stressed that there is no neutrality. They are not neutral. You can't be neutral either. Neutrality is not the way to win the conversation. Um, so the title of the chapter is God in the Dock. So I want to make the point that God is not the one on trial. That's an important mm. point to make. God is not the one on trial here in this conversation, yeah. okay? Quoting C.S. Lewis, Greg Bonson on page seven said, the ancient man approached God or even the gods as the accused person approaches the, his judge. So they were the ones being judged. If they were approaching God, they were the ones being judged. So they had to back themselves up. They weren't putting, you know, they weren't saying God is being judged. Uh, C.S. Lewis continues, for the modern, modern man, the roles are reversed. He is the judge. God is in the dock. The trial may even end in God's acquittal, but the important thing is that man is on the bench and God in the dock, end quote. Huh. Um, I'll throw in one more quote and then we can chat a little bit about what does it really mean when God is the one on trial? And what are we saying when we say that? Um, page nine, Greg Bonson said, a Christian apologetic does not seek autonomously to verify God's word, having the believer serve as God's defense attorney who attempts to win an acquittal from the tribunal of the unbeliever. The Bible is not externally verified at all, for it has absolute authority inherent to itself. Uh, its self-attesting nature is of utmost apologetic significance, end quote. So, I'll kind of open up this discussion a little bit. We have about 10 minutes left, and I do have two more sections to get to, but we'll chat a little bit about this because I think it's important to make that distinction. God is not the one on trial here. The unbeliever is, mm. right? God reigns and is reigning on high. The unbeliever is the fool questioning the king. <laughs> it's it's yeah. the peasant saying, does the king really exist? Like, 
like, yeah. how can you say that? As Paul says elsewhere, they have no excuse. I think it's literally Romans 1. They are left with no excuse. God is not on trial here. You are for denying that he exists. For they know the truth, uh, yet suppress the truth yep. and unrighteousness. Yep. Yeah, the yeah. fool says there is no God, as it says elsewhere in Proverbs. That's a fool yeah. talking. Yep. Another verse comes to mind when uh, talking about this. Uh, let God be true and everybody else a liar. That yep. God, no matter what, God is true. Yes. Yes. It's just who is willing to be the sinner or not be the sinner. Boom. Yes. Oh, yeah. Eloquently stated. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we talk about presuppositional apologetics, that first word, presuppose, we're presupposing the authority of God. We're presupposing that the Bible is our ultimate standard. If we don't go into apologetics presupposing that, then we've given up our rock. It's like like our verse. Yeah. Yeah, it's like our verse. If we we do not... Uh, apostolicize. I'm going to use that word again. <laughs> if it's not a word, let's make it a word. Let's make it a word. But um, <laughs> if we're not going out and apostolizing, yeah, um, in Christ's name, yeah, then either we will do it of some other, and it mm. will not work. Yep. Yep. And so, if we don't do it for Christ's name, yep. it will not work. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Point. And that's why so often it feels like science is ruled by the unbeliever Mm. and because we are trying to push god aside to say uh let me argue this from science yes let's let's push away our ultimate standard (laughs) to go to the enemy standard yep to say that our ultimate standard is the standard yep yep Precisely. Yep. Awesome. Well, so we've kind of stressed this point a lot. (laughs) You know, like we are very strongly, hopefully very strongly making the point that you cannot give up on the Bible as your ultimate standard. This sets the tone for the rest of the month talking about apologetics. And this is really the premise behind presuppositional apologetics. So we have to talk about what the goal, let's talk about the end goal. What is the, what is not the end goal of our apologetics. Um, Bonson talked about how we aren't just trying to prove that Christianity makes the most sense from a from a probability perspective. I.e., we thought this through, and it just seems like it's uh, it's the most probable religion to be true. It's 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 probably true. We can't be sure, but we we really think Christianity has a high chance of being right. So we we want to bring you into the church and and um, call you to confess your sins and um, like because it's it's probably it's probably true. It makes the most sense, right? From a probable perspective, I think it makes the most sense. That's not the goal. Uh, On page five, Greg Bonson says, By appealing to probability, apologists saw Christianity relegated to the museum of mere religious hypotheses, i.e. possibilities, rather than embraced as the actual truth of God. End quote. On page 13, Greg Bonson said, We must not be satisfied to present Christianity as the most reasonable position to hold among the competing options available to men. Rather, the Christian faith is the only reasonable outlook available to men. And we're going to talk about what it means when you don't see that 
as fact in a second. Before I do, Jake, anything you'd like to add to that conversation? I have three quick quotes, but Sweet. it's more more to the end. Okay. I'm talking about why and the necessity of a presuppositional approach. Ooh, I can't. And okay. I, I want to get to those. Great. So. Keep keep Sounds listening All right. so you can hear for those. <laughs> yes. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, okay, so that's not the goal. The, the goal is not to provide just a, oh, all right, yeah, we walk away from the conversation. It's like, yeah, all right, I can kind of see how that makes sense reasonably. Now, yet you do have to also understand that some people are meant to plant the seeds, some people are meant to water the seeds, and some people then get to reap the harvest. And it takes, the apologetic process is a long one, um, because ultimately it's God who gives the increase. So we, we do have to remember that. We're not going to convince someone ourselves. But we are told to give a defense, a reasonable defense for the hope that lies within us. So that's what we're attempting to do. So now let's talk about what is the goal of our apologetic. On page 14, Greg Bonson says, what the apologist must endeavor to do is to demonstrate that without Christian presuppositions, there is no intelligible use of facts and logic, that human knowledge and interpretation fail instantly. Therefore, to be reasonable at all, men must submit to the ultimate standard of God's self-attesting word. To refuse this is to insist upon intellectual foolishness and eternal damnation, end quote. So he gets a little more specific on page seven, um, and he says the apologetic task will consist not of externally verifying the Christian presupposition, but of applying it by, and then there's two steps, one, bringing God's truth and commands to bear upon the lives of unbelievers, and two, doing an internal critique of the non-Christian's system, calling down its idols and pointing out the absolute necessity of Christian presuppositions if logic, factuality, history, science, and morality are to have any meaning, validity, and application at all, end quote. So the two things here, okay? One, bringing God's truth and commands to bear upon the lives of unbelievers, calling them out. This is what you should be doing. The word of God says this, call the truths and commands to bear on the lives of unbelievers. Two, we should be doing an internal critique of their system. I mean, a couple months back when we were going through Always Ready, we talked about answering a fool according to his folly, which is showing them how what they're saying is complete folly by showing them their position, showing them the foolishness of what they believe, doing an internal critique of the non-Christian system, calling down their idols and pointing out the absolute necessity of Christian presuppositions, pointing out that without a Christian worldview, without the presuppositions of the Bible, you can't have logic, factuality, history, science, and morality. They mean nothing. They have their, their mere opinion without the Bible. So that's what we are endeavoring to show them. Um, I'll do one more quote, Jake, and then I'll pass it off to you. On page 15, Greg Bonson said, we must argue that the non-Christian's epistemological and corresponding metaphysic, not only, uh, I'm sorry, the non-Christian's epistemology, there it is, <laughs> epistemology and corresponding metaphysic is not only preventing him from coming to faith in Christ, but they prevent him, if held consistently, from coming to any knowledge whatsoever, end quote. So hopefully that statement it's pretty clear. It makes sense. And Jake has talked about this actually previous in previous months when we were going through Always Ready. Um, they're not consistent. That's a problem they have. They're not consistent with their own worldview. And you need to show them that. Like, they believe murder is wrong. But they can't account for that. They're, un right. they're, they're not consistent 
with their worldview. They're they're borrowing from us. They're borrowing from the Bible because without they, the Bible, it's a it's an opinion. Yeah, they can count, but they cannot account for counting. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, dude, take it away for the last like two minutes. Go ahead. Alrighty. Well, talking about the necessity for presuppositional approach. Sweet. All right. And starting out with my first quote, uh, found on page 15, Greg Bonson says, Since neutrality is unattainable for either the unbeliever or believer, and since they have conflicting ultimate standards for judging claims to knowledge, the task of apologetics will ultimately be carried on a presuppositional level. Contrasting worldviews are being debated. This is a worldview versus another worldview. You cannot throw away your worldview to debate against, to go to their worldview to debate with their worldview. Mm. We can't go to science to debate science. Yep. Uh, Another quote, which I, this one I love, found on page 16. It's very short, but I'll explain what it means because it can take a little bit to understand what he means by it. But the presuppositions used by Christian and non-Christian determine what they will accept as factual and reasonable. Mm. Yeah. Your presuppositions will determine what you believe as fact and all the things that you believe. Yep. Your presuppositions will control what you believe. Yes. To which that leads me into my last quote which is true of most Christians. Um, But here on page 16, he says, when the Christian sets forth his outlook, he will stress the kind of God to whom he is committed. Ooh, yes. Yep, yep. And sadly, to most Christians, that is science. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, those are really good quotes. That was was really good. Yeah, Yeah. and... You know, yeah, answering, ultimately answering the question, why? Why do I have to presuppose the word of God as my ultimate standard? And yeah, we're going to get into more of the details of that a little bit later. But yeah, laying out those quotes and saying, hey, you can't account for any of these things if the word of God is not your ultimate standard, right? Your presupp- yep. you, What you presuppose, your presuppositions will affect your worldview. They mm-hmm. will affect how you live and how you view the world. So, awesome, dude. That's why it's called a worldview. Exactly. That's why it's called a worldview. Yep, precisely. Fantastic. Anything you'd like to add before I wrap it up? Nope. All right. So, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Don't forget, go to trdshow.net. That's our show website. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. And sign up for our newsletter, trdshow.com slash trdshow.net there it is i knew i'd mix that up one of these days trdshow.net slash newsletter it's up on the screen sign it up sign up for our newsletter you'll get updates you'll get a whole bunch of really cool stuff in there and um we really appreciate everyone who's already signed up so far we have a decent list so you know keep adding your email to the list it takes like 30 seconds go to trdshow.net slash newsletter sign up today and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you on our friday episode you do not want to miss it And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord 